Kayvon Thibodeau grabs all the headlines, but there were five other ducks at the NFL Combine over the weekend. How did they do, and how are they projecting as pros for the 2022 NFL Draft? We get to that. Plus, Oregon basketball, disappointing end to the regular season. It's Pac-12 tournament or no NCAA tournament for Dana Altman's squad. Why was it so disappointing? There are a couple reasons why. We'll get to that today on Locked on Ducks. Here we go. You are Locked on Ducks. Your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm Earl Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster, lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks every single weekday. Remember to like and subscribe if you have not already, whether you're listening to or watching the show right now, YouTube channel, Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, free and available on all platforms. Hit that subscribe button so you stay up to date with the Ducks every single day. Five-star reviews, nice comments. We like those as well. Today's episode brought to you by Run Your Pool. March Madness is here gloriously and run your pool has a better way to create your bracket runyourpool.com the premier sports pool hosting service so talked about Kayvon Thibodeau yesterday all the noise coming out of there but there are some other ducks at the NFL combine five others in fact how are they going to project as pros and kind of where they uh, where they stand after their performances at the combine some of them didn't do so great but I want to start, share this story first I recently played golf which I do a lot. You've probably picked up on that, right? You hear me in the built bar reads talking about bringing them on the golf course, which I do, by the way, had one over the weekend works every time. I, uh, I had the opportunity to play with a guy by the name of Cody Hoffman in, uh, in St. George, Utah, which if you're a big golfer, you have to go to St. George, bunch of amazing golf. Anyway, Cody Hoffman was a wide receiver at BYU from 2009, 2013. Taysom Hill was his quarterback for the last couple of years. He went to the Combine, put his name in the draft, was an undrafted free agent with the team that is now the Washington Commanders, which sounds like an XFL team, but it is what it is. So I asked, I was asking him about the, the Combine, what the process was like, because Ducks are going through it right now. And we were on the, the par 4 12th. I just said, so what's the Combine like? Immediately, immediately, the first thing he said, one of the worst experiences of my life. I said, really? And he said, yeah. It's just they're, they're, they're controlling you, but they're pushing you at the same time in a way that is just just not very enjoyable. You know, they'll wake you up at 4 a.m. and drug test you one day. Then they'll wake you up at 5 a.m. and test you on football knowledge the next day. They'll keep you really late to do media appearances or drills or everything. And he said it's just an absolute grind. And that basically what they're doing is they're trying to thin out the herd, right? They're trying to only have the people there who are so all in that they're willing to go through this process. And the combine didn't used to be that way. It, it, it didn't used to be that way. It was much less complicated, you know, 20 years ago. But as everything in society does, it has changed. It has evolved. And that's what it has become. And I'd never heard that before. I never met someone who went through it. He graduated in 2013. So he went through it pretty recently. And I can't imagine that, you know, as social media has gotten bigger and uh, there are more media outlets, more opinions, all that sort of stuff. I can't imagine that it's gotten more enjoyable to go through. Uh, so I thought I'd show that today, talking about the the combine. And I thought that was uh, an interesting story because I'd never heard anyone go through that before. So speaking of ducks at the combine, 
there were a handful, right? There are five others uh, who are not named. Kayvon Thibodeau, not not looking great after after the combine in a couple of ways. But let's just kind of go through one by one here. Uh, C.J. Verdell talks about him on a recent episode when uh, when he announced he was leaving for the NFL draft. I think he, you know, can play in in, in the league, but he's looking probably at about a late round draft pick at this point. 5'8", 194 pounds. It's actually 17 pounds lighter than he was when he uh, when he started the 2020 football season. He has to perform well at Oregon's Pro Day on April 1st to, to pick up his draft stock because he's capable of playing in the NFL, but if he's going to play a lot, he's really going to have to show up because he he struggled in just about every area. Down, down the board, every drill that he did, it didn't go particularly well for him, unfortunately, so hopefully he's able to, to pick it up. Johnny Johnson the third. He also struggled a bit, four six in the forty yard dash. Not the, not the biggest high end speed. But here's the thing with Johnny Johnson. I I think he he's projecting right now when you read scouting reports as a sixth or seventh round pick. I would guess he'll be an undrafted free agent and he'll get onto a team. And the reason I feel confident about that is you draft guys, you know, because of uh, interviews you've had with them or the on field production they had in college all that sort of stuff. But when you're an undrafted free agent, typically the way that you're going to then make it if you don't have those sorts of elite measurables is you have to have that sort of heart and that sort of drive. And, and Johnny Johnson the third, I think is a really great story of growth. When you look at his career over the Oregon football or at, at Oregon in the football program, do you remember him as a freshman? Because I do. And he couldn't catch the ball. I mean, I, he and Jalen read both struggled catching the ball, right? That was part of the reason that Herbert's college stats are not as phenomenal as, as they potentially could be because they were just underdeveloped at the wide receiver position. But he was a playmaker by the end. He developed really good hands, made some tough, tough catches. I remember one of the Pac-12 championship game 2019 against Utah. Herbert underthrew him a little. He jumped over the top of the defender and, and kind of grabbed it off his back in the middle of two guys. That's not a catch he was making as a freshman. I, I loved his physicality, blocking on the edge as well when he played for the Ducks. I think his 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 career will go well for him, you know, if it does. Like I, I'm not confident that it will because his measurables really are not that great. He's not an elite physical prospect for the Ducks uh, coming out of college. That is, but he could succeed because of his heart because of his drive and, and commitment to be better, because that was on display. And that resonates with coaches. It, it does. And I, I I believe that if he's able to, you know, have a, an interview with a GM and get a chance, he could carve out a role, even though he's not going to, he's never going to be a big time wide receiver one. But I liked watching him at, at Oregon. And I think that the wide receiver position for the Ducks, I think they missed him. I, I think they, I think they definitely missed him when, uh, when he was off the field with, with an injury. So, I bet you he's an undrafted free agent. That would be my prediction. But, you know, maybe maybe he snags a sixth or a, or a seventh round draft pick. I don't know. Uh, the other wide receiver that Oregon sends out, uh, Devin Williams, ran a 4.65 in the 40-yard dash. That's not great either. <laughs> I mean, for a wide receiver, those are not really good numbers. I bet you Williams goes probably in the fifth round just because of his size, right? JJ3 is, is much smaller, but Williams is just such a big body that he's the kind of guy that can just get drafted based on his physical based on his physical size alone. He's got good hands, can make contested catches. We know all of that. He's a good run after the catch guy, just doesn't have that sort of 
explosive breakaway speed. But could he play in the NFL? Yeah, I, I, I 100% uh, think he could. Get to the other prospects after I tell you that this episode is brought to you by Stat Hero. I love March Madness and I love brackets, but I can't remember last time I actually went deep or even won any money. You know, I, I'm hedging my bets this year with Stat Hero's NCAA Pick'em contests. Stat Hero's NCAA single Pick'em's pit the star of yeah, yeah, that was bad. Pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. I assure you this is higher quality product than uh, that sentence that I just put out there into the ether. Start focusing on the players you know with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fixed. The simple, sleek gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what daily fantasy is meant to be. Check out Stat Hero. So, Back to uh, back to the Oregon prospects this year. On the defensive side of the ball, there's a couple guys. We know about Kayvon Thibodeau, of course. Verone McKinley, first-team All-American. He's, uh, in scouting reports that I've read, fifth or sixth best safety in this class. And there are a lot of talented safeties. Kyle Hamilton is going to be probably a first-round draft pick from from what I've seen. I love the NFL draft, if you can't tell. I'm I'm a huge fan, and I love following uh, you know hashtag products on Sundays, and I know many of you do as well. McKinley is a is projecting right now as a third round caliber pick. I I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the third. I could see him falling to the fourth because his upside is a little bit limited because of his size. 5'11", 194 pounds. That's not a particularly big guy. Is he a very good football player? Yes. I would want him on my team. But is he going to be a first, second, or third round pick? I, I would guess probably not. I think Williams goes in the fifth. I th- I'm just putting these on the record because you never know if I end up being right. Uh, I think Johnny Johnson the third, undrafted free agent. Devin Williams in, in the fifth. I think McKinley goes in the fourth. And, you know, he doesn't have amazing speed. And he doesn't have amazing size, right? Compare that to Javon Holland, who's just kind of a physical freak and was one of the highest graded rookies this year for uh, for the Dolphins in, in the whole league. He was really, really good. Holland is 6'1", 207 pounds. So he's about 15 pounds and two inches bigger than Verone McKinley. He's better in the run game, though Verone is definitely capable. But the reason that I would take McKinley anyway, despite him not being you know a unique physical being, that is, his ball skills, anticipation, football IQ, off the charts. All of it. All of it off the charts. And he got so much better during his time at Oregon, playing in an era where we really had a pretty loaded secondary. When you look at the guys that we've said to the NFL recently, D'Amador Lenore and Thomas Graham and Javon Holland, there, there's just a bunch of guys up there who, uh, I, I, Mikhail Wright is about to be there. I'll get to him here in a sec. There's a lot of really talented players. McKinley waited his turn. Played really good football. He earned that first-team All-American status. And I, I just was blown away by how well he's able to read coverages, anticipate routes, understand route combinations, and where guys are going to go. You watch that Ohio State game. He makes a couple of plays where C.J. Stroud makes the right read, makes a good throw, and McKinley beats him to the spot because he is so smart. He's reading the play, trusting his instincts. I, I love watching him play free safety. So he's able to make up with that or he's able to make up for his lack of a high-end speed with that sort of anticipation and such. But, you know, we'll see if if that ends up coming back to 
you know, limit his upside a little bit because everybody in the NFL is really, really big, really, really fast. And a lot of guys have, have great anticipation too, but can he play? Yeah, I, I think he absolutely could. Last guy uh, that, that we'll talk about here that we'll be watching on Sunday soon before we get into Oregon basketball, Mikhail Wright. And he's an interesting prospect to me. I think he's the most interesting in this class for Oregon. Thibodeau, I know what he is. McKinley talked about it. The other guys, we'll see if they're able to ultimately carve out roles in, in the league for themselves. But after that 2020 football season for Oregon, and after seeing what he did his freshman year, I thought Mikhail Wright was trending towards being a first-round caliber corner. And it's definitely not looking that way. He's going to be probably a mid-round selection. He did not grade well at the combine. I think he ran like a four, a four, six, five, or something, which is surprising because I remember him running stride for stride with Chris Olave, who ran really well at the combine this weekend. I, I've always liked Mikhail Wright. I really have. I think this could be an a high upside pick for a team in the middle rounds. You know, I bet you he go. I bet you he goes in the fifth. With Devin, well, now I'll put him up at the eh, fifth. Yeah, I, I think Mikhail Wright goes in the fifth uh, along with Devin Williams. And Wright could kind of fade into, you know, just a, a role player in the league who bounces around. But he could develop into a starting corner. Because what I saw in 2020 and, and his freshman season 2019, a guy who can just lock on receivers and glue onto them, shut them down, and, and be the clear-cut number one corner on the field. But he took a step back in 2021. That is unquestionable. When you look at the stat, he was first team all Pac-12 in 2020. And I think it was just Pac-12 honorable mention in 2021. I, I, I was surprised. I was really, really surprised. I was really high on him coming to this year. And I, I've always liked his ball skills, his footwork, his ability to, to anticipate routes. He's got pretty good size. But I, I just thought he would be more of a lockdown corner this year. And as I watched the Ducks defense, maybe it was scheme related. But there were a number of times where he was getting beat. And that was not something that happened as often in 2020 when when I would watch film and watch, uh, watch replays of Oregon games. So each of those guys should be able to find a team. Obviously, Thibodeau will. McKinley clearly will. Uh, Mikhail Wright clearly will. I think Williams, Verdell, and, and Johnny Johnson III. Might need to show something else at Oregon's Pro Day on April 1st, but all guys who, who are capable of playing, but they did not run well. I mean, up and down, I don't need to go into every single stat, but on the drills, the 40-yard dash times, or these Oregon guys, they did not grade well. Kayvon Thibodeau did. You know, he had a 1-5-9, 10-second split, which I'm told is very good. I didn't know what that was, but uh, that was very good. 27 reps on the bench press. He ran. I think a four six five in the in the forty, which is really good for an edge rusher. Edge rusher, of course. There's some potential here, but is this going to be Oregon's most loaded NFL draft class? Maybe not after Kayvon Thibodeau, but these guys can definitely play. I I I 100 believe they can play, but the the combine has definitely got their draft stock falling for for several of them. I think for Dell and and Johnny Johnson the third in particular, really, you know. Needed to needed to to get themselves into a mid round draft pick. I think needed to show up well at the combine, and they uh, they they just didn't grade very well compared to their peers. So we'll see how how that all plays out. I look forward to seeing where uh, where these guys get drafted and what kind of roles they can carve out on Sundays. This episode is brought to you by Run Your Pool. 
March Madness, only a few weeks away, means you need to start thinking now about where you're running your brackets this year. Are you going for the usual or are you going for the best? We've done our homework. We're going with runyourpool.com for our brackets. Along with standard brackets, Run Your Pool offers game types like Survivor or Pickaxe, both of which are fun. They have options to added scoring uh, for more intel to make your picks, all stuff you won't find at ESPN or CBS. Clearly, we believe Run Your Pool because, like I said, we're running our brackets there ourselves. There's no truer test than that. If you want to play against us for a shot at cash prize, join us at runyourpool.com slash locked on. While you're there, create your own pool for friends and family. Enter pure, pure madness at checkout for $10 off your custom pool. All the rules and details will be available there. That's runyourpool.com slash locked on for your chance to win a cash prize. Football season might be over, Ducks fans, but, 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 but. And I apologize. I've been having some uh, screen troubles. So if you see me adjusted every now and then, it's because I'm trying to get it to to come back to me. Football might be over for this season. Basketball is in full steam for pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. Not just basketball, betonline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. So we end today's show with Oregon men's basketball and the disappointing end they had to their regular season. And I think it's a valid question, you know, when you hear people say, oh, it was disappointing. It was disappointing. Well, why was it disappointing? So let's answer that question. They came into the season with a lot of hype after adding guys in the transfer portal like Davion Harmon, Quincy Garrier, and Jacob Young, in addition to having you know a couple guys back, including Will Richardson, who was uh, a preseason Pac-12 Player of the Year candidate. They were top 15 in the preseason poll, which is not very common for Dana Altman teams. It, it hasn't been at Oregon. You look over the years, there have been a couple, but usually how it works is Oregon is you know maybe at the back end of the top 25. They start out of it, and they work their way up to it. But this year, because everyone saw how much talent they had, Oregon was sort of a, a dark horse Final Four team and expected to be a top 20 caliber program all year, and they just weren't. They they just weren't, and the talent that they added warranted that sort of hype, but it just never clicked. It just it, it has not clicked, and the season's not over. I'm not giving up hope because I never will. That's our job as fans, to remain hopeful no matter what. The season... <sighs> It was just so disappointing to see the regular season end the way it did because Oregon right now had the chance with a few games left to clinch a spot in the NCAA tournament, regardless of what they did in the tournament, the the Pac-12 tournament, what they will do, I should say. They had a chance to do that. I mean, even coming into the final two regular season games, which I talked about in yesterday's show, the opportunity was there. They got the split with the L.A. schools that Joe Lenardi said they needed. They just had to beat two teams who they'd already defeated this season and who, from a talent perspective, they are better than top to bottom, even without Will Richardson on the court for the Washington State game. Oregon, from a talent perspective, not a team perspective, but a talent perspective, better than Washington State and better than Washington. And the biggest disappointment of how the season ended was that neither game was even competitive. That that was the most frustrating part to me. There, These were urgent games. Had to have them. Your, your resume is on the line to get into the tournament. And they were just kind of flat. They, there was just no urgency or desperation that, that, that I saw from the Ducks. I mean, you know, it's not as if they weren't trying, but you have to be able to take it to another level, right? If, if trying and giving full effort is here, urgency level is up here. 
they didn't get to here. I feel like Billy Bean and Moneyball. That's my bar up here. <laughs> but, you know, Washington State was especially bad, but Washington wasn't good either. Both, uh, both games, they were just, they were bad. They were down by over 20 points at one point. Against a team you're better than when you have to have these games. I mean, that, that was the most disappointing part to me. Not that they lost, but how they lost. And it's a discouraging thing to feel as a fan because, you know, lots of games in any sport, football, basketball, baseball, soft, any sport, when you lose as a fan, you you have that feeling of darn, really wanted to win, would have been nice to have, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yada, yada, yada. But there's a difference between the feeling of darn, just didn't go our way, one of their guys got hot. Uh, you know, it was a good team, just came up short. It happens, right? That's one feeling. That's not how I felt with these games. Because do any of you feel that way that watch these games? Or did you watch the games in Seattle and in Pullman and think, boy, that was a lackluster effort? Because it was. They weren't going after loose balls. They weren't boxing out hard. They weren't valuing every possession. It was just, they, they were just kind of going out there and playing like it was another day, like it was another game. And that's a frustrating th- thing to see a- as a fan. And the biggest evidence of that is the Washington State game. Dana Altman's teams have always been good defensively. That's been their hallmark. Offense comes and goes. That Final Four team had a lot of really good offensive players. You had Dylan Brooks. You had Tyler Dorsey. Until he got hurt, Chris Boucher. Pritchard was on there. Casey Benson was a nice player. Right, there were a lot of talented guys. But the defense is always there. Dylan Ennis as well. They gave up almost 80 points. To Washington, and that wasn't a good showing. 78-67 was the final score. Game was never that close. You allow almost 80 points to a middling Washington team. Then you go up into Pullman, and that loss on Thursday not only didn't tick you off enough to bring up uh, a level of intensity that you didn't show Thursday in Seattle, but Oregon goes up there and allows 94 points to the Cougars? Kyle Smith is a good coach. Washington State is a year or two away from being a good team in this conference, a really good team. They're a solid team. They're not a team you allow 94 points to. You know, and it's it's hard for me to come on here and say these sorts of things, but I cannot in good faith come in here and tell you Duck fans that, that didn't see the games that, well, the effort was there and a couple things just didn't go away. No, I didn't see the effort being there. They were late on closeouts. They didn't chase after loose balls. The box outs were often lackluster. They allowed 19 three-point shots for Washington State in the first half. That's an unconscionable number. To even allow that many looks, the Cougars made nine of them in the first half. They ended up making 16. You allowed 34 shot attempts from beyond the arc. That's an effort thing. Defense, first and foremost, is effort. That's why I brought up Dan Dan Altman and, and his defensive prowess as a coach over the years. Defense primarily is about effort. You allow 94 points, your effort wasn't there. You have to bring it from the jump, and and they just did not. So now they go into the Pac-12 tournament. They have to win, or it'll be an NIT season. And I know no one really cares about the NIT, and it's just you know an opportunity uh, (laughs) for schools who almost got into the big dance to try and find a positive to end their season on, a positive note. But the NIT is more for teams that are up and coming that are trying to prove like, yeah, we can play at this level. We can win in a tournament environment. We can beat good teams, you know, game after game. That's that's how you feel good about the NIT. But Oregon will go into it if they don't win the Pac-12 tournament. Not uh, not not feeling great. The other thing and uh, I'll 
close with this. Will Richardson had as many points against Washington State as he did against Washington. He didn't play against the Cougars. That's not good. <laughs> that's that's uh, it's not good when your best player is scoreless. He's he has been really bad down the stretch. And Dane Altman said he wasn't feeling well. And you know, trainers advice he passed concussion tests, but the trainer said, "Hey, you should probably keep him out." So his status for the Pac-12 tournament is uncertain. I know that in the Oregon basketball realm right now, Will Richardson, not the most popular guy because he hasn't been playing well. And I'm sure Will would tell you that, right? I don't know him. I don't really know anybody that that knows him, but he is not playing up to the standard that he is capable of. So I know that it's been frustrating to watch him struggle and watch the team struggle along with it. But Will Richardson has to be good in the tournament if Oregon is going to pull this off. He, He does. He just has to be. When Oregon is at their best, Will Richardson is at his best. And I know recency bias makes it hard to realize this because he has played so poorly as of late. But maybe he just needed a day off. Maybe he needed to you know, get his head in a, in a better place, literally and metaphorically speaking. He is capable of playing point guard at a high level. This is a guy who's a two-time Pac-12 player of the week this year. He didn't do that by accident. He, we, we've seen it. He's capable of doing it. He has to pull it out now because if he doesn't, Oregon season will end in a way that will be uh, unfortunately disappointing. And they didn't get a first round by because they weren't able to clinch one of the top four seats. So Oregon's first round game. This is a high. This is well, it's potentially high note uh, to, to end today's episode on. They play Oregon State in the first round. Told you earlier this year, I'm never against beating the beefs. Never. Don't care what their record is. Don't care what kind of season they're having. So hopefully Oregon can beat the Beavs and get into the quarterfinals and uh, and not lose in the first round. But the only thing that could make this year for Oregon basketball worse, the only thing that could make it even worse, because I think we've let the full disappointment sit in, would be losing to the Beavs, who are 3-27. and 27. So please, Ducks, go beat the Beavs. Beat the, just, just don't lose to the 3-27 and 27 Oregon State Beavers. That's all that's all we're looking for here as Duck fans. I hope that's not too much to ask for. But in the tournament, anything can happen. It's March. We're taking nothing for granted. Hopefully they come out, punch them in the mouth, carry some momentum into that quarterfinal game that I believe would be against uh, Colorado. So that's all for today. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.